Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Very, very cool. Okay, a quick, um, a quick survey. Is that all right? Yeah? Okay, put your hand up if, you're, um, if you've ever had something go wrong. So a, a, a quick show. Yeah, there's a few, few people out there untouched by tragedy. But uh, most of us have had stuff go wrong. Um, have you ever had something go wrong and it was actually very much not that you would, obviously, we could do this by secret ballot, right? So secret ballot is to, so put your hand up if you've ever had something go wrong. This is a public ballot, right? Secret ballot is where you just raise your eyebrows at me like that, right? Okay, so have you ever had something go completely wrong? This one's by secret ballot. When, without a shadow of a doubt, it was actually your fault, just by secret, but like, yeah, a few, yeah, yes, yes, at least 50% of the people in this church are honest people, right? Uh, or else they've just got itchy foreheads, right? So we've, we've all had stuff go wrong, but we've also had stuff go wrong where it was our fault, right? Now you can answer this one by public ballot, right? Who's had stuff go wrong and it was definitely their fault, right? Don't point at the person, but put your hand up. Right, it was definitely their fault. So, the, it's actually true that even from our limited understanding, our limited perspective, stuff goes wrong. We know stuff goes wrong. We also know that at least some of the stuff that goes wrong is a hundred percent our fault. Right, right, and probably all the stuff that goes wrong, we've got at least part ownership in, either the problem itself or the complications that follow. Right? And we know that's true. Now, one of the things that's happened this year in New Zealand is right at the start of the year, stuff went wrong. We had the, those floods in Auckland. Remember those floods in Auckland? Right? And then we had, um, there was the thing in Hawke's Bay, a cyclone, which actually was a flood. Like, but I don't know, we've u- we'd used the idea of flood, so we focus now just on the storm. But the main problem wasn't the storm. The main problem was the water, right, that sort of flooded everything. Um, and then uh, in the middle of all that, there was all sorts of commentary. I don't know if you noticed it, but some high-profile Christians in New Zealand decided that the reason these events had happened was because of bad people. And I thought to myself, uh, that's really strange, though, because my house didn't get flooded. <laughs> right? Right? If, if this is just God punishing all the bad people... Right? How many of you would have probably, to be fair, probably your house should get flooded too? Right? Yeah, probably the case, right? Yeah, all of you who did this, yeah, yeah, you know who you are, right? Because we know that at least part of the bad in the world is me. At least part of the good in the world is me. And one of the big challenges of the human existence is that unlike your dog, we can sort of judge everything, right? If your, your dog just does stuff, and it, it, he just loves it. He, if it's chewing shoes, it's good, right? It doesn't matter what it is he's doing, he's doing it and it's good, right? And he loves it until you tell him off, but that's only because he loves you, right? Uh, but for all of us as humans, we're in the middle of this, this good-bad dynamic is such a big challenge. And so for Father's Day, I thought we could actually focus in on what do we do and what does it mean? So what does it mean and then what do we do when bad stuff happens, 
right? What, do we, what does it mean and what do we do when bad stuff happens? So we're going to flick through um, the PowerPoint here. And a couple of, I've got a couple of statements for you. So flick onto this first statement. I've got four statements. When something bad happens, it doesn't mean that the person it happened to is a bad person. Right? doesn't mean that. Right? Next slide's really important to remember as well. It doesn't mean that they're not a bad person either. Right? Because there is this strain through Christianity, right, that when a bad thing happens, it means they're a bad person. And then other Christians have that equally stupid view. When a bad thing happens, it means they're a good person. No, it just it doesn't mean that, right? Okay, the next statement, when a good thing happens, it doesn't mean that the person it happened to is a good person, right? Photograph of my new Ferrari, hashtag blessed, Right? No, it should be hashtag talents. You failed, right? The test was what would you do with half a million dollars, right? <laughs> hashtag blessed. No, hashtag one talent. You're in big trouble, right? Uh, when something good happens, it also doesn't mean that the person is not good, right? Because there's a strain of Christianity, hashtag blessed. There's another strain of Christianity, hashtag you're a failure because you wasted your $500 million, $500,000, right? The big challenge we've got to remember is good and bad things happen, right? And we're not quite able to see what's going on from where we stand, right? If you're very, very tall, you're still quite short compared to God, Right, the very, very tallest human, like the very, very tallest human is short compared to a building. Right, all of us, we've got to remember that we're viewing the world from within the picture, within the story. Right, what's life like for the Mona Lisa? For us, there's this person, com- complicated person, alone in a tiny frame. For her, here's this big crowd of ugly people, waving devices, right? Perspective is everything when it comes to understanding what's going on around us. And if there's anything we get from the Bible is we get a shift of perspective. If there's anything that happens during that praise of worship this morning, if if, if there's a reason to come to church, uh, one of the reasons has got to be that shift in perspective where we get out of our story and look at it from a bit of a distance and allow ourselves to settle into what God's doing. Is that all right? Okay, moving on. um, I'm going to prove this for you. Uh, There's this guy who's heard of Abraham. Right, Abraham, uh, right now across the world in Sunday school programs, people are singing that song. Do you remember the song? Yes, people are waving their arms, right? I, I wondered why we always do that at Sunday school, and I know, as an adult now, again, perspective, I know, right? The song takes about 25 minutes to sing if you do it, if you do it correctly, right? And that keeps all of the most annoying people who like to do that keeps them busy for 25 minutes, right? So you put that on your plan first, then you think, what we do, we know, with the rest of the hour, right? So uh, Abraham is the father of our faith, right? He's the, he's, the, he's the source of our faith. So the faithfulness that we see in Abraham is the faithfulness that we attempt to act out in our own reality, Right? We don't have any access to what really Abraham's feelings about what was going on. Because he didn't write like an agonizing memoir, right? 
We just have the story of this happened and he did this and that happened and he said this and he did that and he did this. And in your life, you're going to experience all sorts of agonizing feelings, but what's going to matter is what you do, right? Your faith is not tied up in your agonizing feelings. Your faith is expressed in your doing. I own a mountain bike, right? It has no impact on my well-being. I have a savings account. Right? But what matters is what we actually do in our life. That's what really matters, right? And we see that with Abraham. So here's the story of Abraham, the father of our faith, right? The Lord said to Abraham, go out from your country, your relatives, your father's household, to the land that I'll show you, like a mystery land, right? There I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and I'll make your name great, right? So leave your culture, language, and travel into like barbarian lands, right? So it'd be like you guys leaving Canterbury here and traveling to Dunedin, right? So away from civilization, towards a backwards people, right? Uh, and, and this is why God wants Abraham to move, right? I want you to move so that you will exemplify divine blessing. Right? So Abraham is the example of what it looks like when God's divine blessing lands in a human life. So I imagine Abraham, when you imagine, imagine if God said to you, hey, I want you to do this, because when you do this, you're going to be an example of what it looks like. You're going to be an example to all of history of what it looks like when God blesses a human. Right? Straight away, you'll be thinking, hashtag blessed, right? Oh, God's going to do good things for me, right? But, but the one who treats you lightly, I'll curse, and the one who blesses you, I'll bless, right? And then this is the, one of the weird pieces of the Bible. All the families of the earth will bless one another by your name, right? Name is this idea of nature. So every, other, every family on the earth, every nation, is able to be blessed by engaging with who you are, right? That's the sort of right, will bless themselves in you, is the, another translation. So Abraham left just as the Lord had told him, right? And then this is what happens. There was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to stay for a while. Come follow me, travel to the other side of the world, leave all of your comforts, your financial security, your culture, language, everything else. Leave that way of living, thinking, be, believing, and behaving, and come to a new way of living, thinking, believing, and behavior so that I can exemplify my blessing in the world forever. Event number one, famine. Right? In our way of thinking, straight away, it's like, God's not with me. What's going on? What have I done wrong? What have they done wrong? Why, why is the devil, why, is this the, the devil spoke to me? And, right? No, this is the plan of God. This is what following God can look like. This is Father Abraham, many sons, I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? That song is about how this is the story we're identifying with, that God calls us from one place to another and stuff happens, right? Or as my grandfather used to say, effluent occurs, <laughs> right? Effluent occurs, right? And it's part of the blessed life. It's part of the following God life. Floods happen, famines happen. It's part of following God. Why? It's because it's the nature of things. So we're going to do a quick run through the nature of reality, okay? So, uh, uh, 
So first of all, we've got to remember that God created the world. Now, God's not, there's lots of different gods, powerful things beyond us, right? There's lots of powerful things beyond us, right? When we say God, we mean a God who revealed himself through Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, God, that God, we mean that God, and he revealed himself as I am. So the creator and source of all things, right? He creates a world that is very good. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 1. He creates a world that's very good, right? In Genesis chapter 2, you can realize that the world he created that was very good included an active chaotic agent. And God still called it very good. So God puts man in the Garden of Eden. Who else was in the Garden of Eden? A snake, a serpent, right? This active chaotic agent, right? Adam and Eve abandoned their role. I think we've missed one. Go back one. Right? Adam and Eve, all humans were invited into that perfect world with a role. So you're invited into God's perfect world with a role to play. Right? And the role you play is to tend and care. Right? So tending is to develop, till, and expand. Because the idea was to expand the Garden of Eden across the whole of the world. Right? So expand to tend, kill, and then to care. That means to protect. Right? Moving on. Adam and Eve instead abandoned their role and then engaged with the chaotic element, the serpent, in disobedience that ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and bad. So rather than saying our job here is to make it better, they shifted to rather than just make it better, we're going to decide whether it's good or not. Your job as a parent, as a father, is to make the world better. Develop it, tend it, plow fields, sow things, and protect and care. Not to decide whether it's good or bad. The people on talkback radio are not tending and caring. They're just doing good and bad. Right now, there's at least six people complaining on talkback radio about potholes. Across our whole community as New Zealand, we've spent millions and millions of hours talking about potholes. Meanwhile, no potholes are fixed, right? The job is to fix potholes, not to talk about potholes, right? right? The job is to make things better, to tend and care, not to engage in the fruit of, I'm going to decide what's good, or I'm going to decide what's bad. Oh, this is because they're a bad person. This is, but no, come on. What are we doing to tend and care? What are we doing to expand the garden? You can see in that tend and care, that, that masculine impulse and feminine impulse, right? I'm not talking about men and women, right? Because we all, we all have both these impulses, right? To push things forward and also to protect what we've got, right? These twin impulses are part of our, goal, uh, part of our job. Moving on, they were cast out of paradise and into the wider world. And then instead of tending and caring, now they're working and wandering. So the activity is the same, but the results are different. You still have to dig, but you're digging in hard ground. You still have to move about the place. But rather than expanding paradise, you're just moving, looking for opportunity in the good, bad world, right? Moving on. Uh, God then works through all of history to redeem humans from a broken world. We are redeemed in this world as part of the process of Christ redeeming the whole world, right? All of the things. So Christ redeeming all of the things. 
right? I think in the message translation, it talks about Christ's rule over governments and galaxies, right? Which is a great piece of alliteration, if not perfect translation, right? A great alliteration that says, hey, everything from way, way out there to the basic mundane, you know, local government politics, pipes and etc. God's redeeming all of that, right? And we, in the middle of it, individually, we have these moments of redemption where God transforms us, God works in our world, we begin changing and shifting and growing. That's part of God's plan to redeem all things, right? Moving on. Uh, Christ now rules in the midst of his enemies. Some people wonder where Jesus is. Jesus is here. He's not coming back. He's here. And he's revealing himself increasingly to the point where he'll one day be fully revealed again. Right? It's this increasing process of Christ's revelation. He's ruling in the midst of his enemies through the church, which is his body. Right? So where's Jesus? Is Jesus coming back or is Jesus here in the room? Well, I'm looking around and I can see a, a big piece of his body here. Right? He's here. Right? Not fully here. Right? Because none of, none of us are fully where we need to be. Right? But he's being revealed through the church. Right? In a perfected church uh, and he'll ultimately destroy his enemies finally and fully, right? Moving on, the next one. That process is actually still happening, right? This is where stuff still goes on. There's all, this, there's all the chaos. There's all the challenges. We're in the middle of the story. It's still unfolding. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie with my older sister. Where right from the opening scene, she'll say, who's that guy? And we're like, we're none of us know. Right, he's just a guy in a funny hat that's walked into the, like, we don't know who he is. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? We don't know. We actually have to watch the whole movie and see what happens, right? She's one of those people who can't really watch a movie that she hasn't already seen, right? Which is a really tough space to be because there's, there's no movies. At some point in life, there's no movies you can watch because there's none you haven't already seen, right? She's really good at watching movies she's already seen because she understands, okay, this person's a good guy. That person's a bad guy. So now I can interpret their behavior within this good, bad. No, the reality is, hey, you're in the middle of a story. You don't know who the good guys and the bad guys are. Like when you look in the mirror in the morning, is that a good guy? I don't know. He's got a funny hat. Maybe he's a good guy. Maybe he's a bad guy, right? He's got a bit of a facial scar, Right? Usually a good sign you're a bad guy. Right? But the reality is it's a story that's still unfolding and we're in the middle of it. And we need to actually engage with our role, not our judgment of good and bad. What's our role? It's to tend and care. Not to sit in judgment of what's good and what's bad. Moving on. I've finished talking about that now. That's the nature of things. What's the next slide? What should we do now? So if that's the nature of things, what should we do now? And I recommend post-it notes are a really good thing, right? This is not, that's not my main, you know, you can note that down. I need to get post-it notes, but um, don't buy the cheap post-it notes. Have you, have you done that? They're so, the cheap post-it notes, or the cheaper, the cheaper post-it notes. You know the original uh, 3M when they're developing the post-it note? The guy who developed it, one of the 3M inventors, was a lay preacher, right? These are my favorite kind of preachers because I'm one of them, and so are you. But uh, so, uh, a lay preacher is someone who's not paid by the church. He was working for 3M as an inventor, and he wanted a way of marking pages in his Bible without ruining the, the thin paper of the Bible, right? That's how he invented that glue, right? Uh, and um, the original working name was uh, papillon, which is the French, is a French word for butterfly, which wouldn't that be a much better... Do you have some pepilon? You know? Uh, anyhow, so um, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> okay, Jonathan, such a distraction. Anyhow, 
Anyhow, what do we do now, right? So it's, it's great to know that we're in the middle of a story. All sorts of stuff's happening. It's not our job to go, that's a good person, that's a bad person, that's a good event, that's a bad event, that's a good church, that's a bad church, that's a good sermon, that's a bad sermon, right? No, the, 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 goal, the challenge for us is to engage in our role. Our, what's our role? What are we created to do? And I would say if you're mostly a man, you're probably created to, to expand and care. And if you're sort of mostly a woman, you're probably going to feel good about caring and expanding, right? We, you know, and forget man and woman, like one of those two things is going to be more your thing, right? But both of them are your thing because both of them are our thing. Hey, we're expanding this work of God in the world and we're protecting the work of God in the world, right? Um, the first thing we need should do is we should ask the right questions, Right? Stuff's going on, stuff's going wrong. We need to ask the right questions. Um, and sort of moving on, not so much right questions, we need to think about we should ask helpful questions. Right? There are lots of questions to ask that are unhelpful. Right? And there's a really great way to quickly figure out the questions that you're asking that are going through your head. Most of your thoughts are questions. Right? I think a lot of your thoughts are where things are going wrong. A lot of them are like, what? How? Right? But the, the ones you've got to look out for are why questions. These are dangerous questions. You need to ask what, not why. Some relationship advice. Don't ask your husband why he forgot to put the rubbish out. Why? Because what's the only answer that's going to be acceptable to you? Because I'm an idiot. You're better than me and I'm useless. Right? When you ask why, almost always, particularly relationally, when you're asking why, you're looking for somewhere to put the blame. Right? The other thing is if you have teenage boys, don't ask them why because they don't know. (laughs) Right? Right? Oftentimes when you're pushing for an answer to the why question, I keep saying this and why aren't you doing it? I keep saying that and why is it not happening? I keep doing this and why isn't it? You're looking for someone to blame. You're looking for someone to admit that they're worse than you. Looking for someone to say, well, it's because I'm useless. It's because I'm weak. It's because I hate you. That's why I did it. Right? If you want to know why it's uncomfortable to ask God why questions, it's just read through the book of Job. Right? And, and God reveals himself to Job. And you can think, wow, isn't it great? God reveals himself. But it actually seemed quite terrifying, right? When you're in the middle of something tough that's going on, don't ask what questions. They're really good. Here's the first what question you should ask. What's going on? Most of the time when bad things are happening, you don't actually know what's happening. What's actually going on? Do you know... Uh, one time we were going through a, one of the times we've gone through a particularly tight financial challenge as a family. It was it was probably a few weeks of panic and uh, arguments uh, and you know uh, pieces of paper and terrible maths and spreadsheets that half finished and all of that drama of trying to figure things out financially, right? Um, and it wasn't until I actually wrote clearly wrote down all of our expenses. And then all of our income mapped it out on the spreadsheet from week to week to week across the next few months so we could manage the cash flow. I've done this particular process a couple of times, once for our family, once for our church, right? We've got okay, this much coming in, this much going out, and um, right? 
once you know actually what is going on, it actually decreases a whole bunch of the stress. Like, whoa, this is tough and this is tight, but I can see what's going on. I can remember one time I was talking to my dad, um, and he's the ultimate problem solver. He can solve problems in all sorts of ways. He's creative, he's very clever, and then he also has got this wonderful ability to just brute force things, right? <laughs> he can, yeah, he can just brute force it. Well, on a 1,157th attempt, we will find the password, right? Just a straight brute force program, right? If you don't stop, you can't be beaten, right? Now, I was saying to him one time, it was when, when I was the pastor in Wellington, I was like, oh, I've got, man, I've got heaps of stuff on. I've just, he's like, how you doing? I was like, oh, heaps of stuff on, just heaps of chaos with the changeover of the trusts and all this other stuff was going on. And he said, well, have you written down everything you need to do to make sure you've got a good handle? Like, oh, I haven't. He goes, write everything down that you've got to do um, and then just put, put a highlighter through all the things you have to do today. And then just make sure that gets done. And then the next tomorrow, look through the list and highlight all the things that have to be done today. Can't be put off, has to be done today. Just focus on those things, right? So I wrote them all down. Didn't even fill up an A4 piece of paper. All all these things going on, right? What is going on? Write it down on a piece of paper. I'd, I'd I'd be really surprised if you go past an A4 piece of paper. And if you do, I'll be like, man, epic. Right? It's going to be a great, when you win this one, it's going to be amazing, right? But when I wrote it down, didn't fill up an A4 piece of paper. When I got my highlighter pen and highlighted all the things that I had to do today, it was just one thing, write letter to IRD. So I literally just had one thing to do. It was two in the afternoon when I'd spoken to my dad and wrote this list. By, two, by three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd done everything that I had to do today, Right? But the part of the problem was I didn't have a question. I wasn't asking any questions. I was just, okay, no what? What's going on? Who? Who could help? Right? These are good questions. Why? It's not going to get you anywhere. Right? Helpful? Okay, what are you going to do now? So ask some helpful questions. Number two, you need to focus. And one of my good friends, uh, Dougal Sutherland, he shared this diagram at um, Shout last year, if you're there, his wasn't as yellow as my one is. Uh, that's very yellow. I just want to commend you on having a great screen. Um, all right, so um, when things are going crazy, you do have to choose what you're focusing your attention on, right? Otherwise, you'll tend to focus your attention on whatever is the most alarming thing, right? Um, And that's often not necessarily the most important thing is the most alarming thing, right? So the most alarming thing happening in the world at the moment is arguably, um, I don't know, I always feel uncomfortable when there's war in Eastern Europe. I don't know, just history sort of suggests that we should be worried about war happening in Eastern Europe, right? So we can spend a lot of time thinking, well, what's Putin going to do next? Right? Well, the, the... The unhelpful thing about that question is he doesn't know, right? And and unless you are an advisor to Putin, which I'm just going to guess none of you are, right? Right? It's actually way outside of our control, right? If if the war in Eastern Europe is in your control, I just want to say you're doing a terrible job, Right? (laughs) Right, But if it's not in your control, well, it's not your problem. It's not your fault. It's outside of your role, right? There are some Christians in the world, the war in Eastern Europe is inside their role. They are actually having an influence on that, 
I guarantee you, right? But it's outside my personal remit, right? What about the things that are way outside your community? But then there's other things that you can influence, like what's going on with your teenagers or what's going on in your marriage. You can influence that, can't you? The trick is that sometimes you think you can control those people, right? If you can control your husband or wife, that's an unhealthy relationship, right? If you think you can control your teenagers, I just want to assure you, all right, there's a future day coming when you realize that you never were and you never can, right? The reality is that these are people that you can influence, right? And in that middle circle are things that you can control. They're the things that you can do. And Dougal said this at Shout, and I've never heard anyone say it quite as well as this. He said that when you're anxious about something, it's your body trying to tell you there's something you need to do. Which I thought, that's a real challenging thought, right? Um, and what we do in, in workplace training or when I work with, with non-Christian people, I would say, you've got to focus your attention on the things that you can control. That's your to-do list, right? So you've written out that whole list of things you have to do, what's going on, and now you just decide, well, which are the things that I can control? Well, that's your to-do list. You write that list. Those are the things that you need to do. And that, that next circle out, that's your leadership list. This is where you need to grow in your ability to communicate, your ability to influence, your ability to have an impact on people. Right? That's your leadership challenge. Write it down. Are you going to be good enough to, to achieve impact in those spaces? Do you know what? You already are. You're already good enough to impact and have, and have leadership and influence. Right? Could you get better? Yeah? Could you get worse? There's always that possibility, right? The, the challenge is, yeah, hey, your role is to tend, expand, and influence, and to protect, right? So there's that protect is that middle circle, and expand is that wider circle. This is the place where you're influencing and impacting. And then Dougal just said this, the outside circle is your prayer list. You might be, you might be worried, and I know this is a legitimate worry. What's going to happen with that war in Ukraine? That's a fair enough worry, but it's not in the middle circle, is it? Right? And next time you're chatting with Putin, well, he's outside of your leadership influence, right? But he's not actually outside of your prayer influence, right? Because the Bible says that we should pray for leaders of all kinds. We should pray for what's going on in the world around us, right? So when you're worried, write down the whole list of things you're worrying about and then just decide, well, which is my to-do list? Highlight them with pink. This is going to be great. This is like this sermon. Actually, I just do need to be honest. We're sponsored by Warehouse Stationery. Eh? So um, <laughs> I need some sort of sponsorship. Yeah, a stationary sponsorship would actually be worth quite a bit of money to me. Uh, anyhow, um, yeah. Think about, imagine if you could get free poster notes. Uh, yeah. Anyhow. You got your pink highlighter? I reckon pink highlighter for the middle circle, do you reckon? Oh, no, green. Green for the middle one. This is our go. This is our go. This is, this is a green. Right, so green is go. Uh, should, we, should we go um, pink for the next one out? This is where we're trying to lead. This is where we're bringing heart. Yeah, you, you with me? Yeah, and then this, I actually haven't prepared this beforehand. No, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pink. And then the last thing, these things we're praying about, I reckon that, that light blue. Up in the, it's, this, is in the, this is stuff that we only can deal with in the heavens. Now, we have a role to play on earth 
and in the heavens. You can think about this as body, soul, spirit as well, right? What have I got to do? How can I influence and impact with heart and people around us? And then, hey, what am I doing in that spiritual space in prayer? Amen? Right? Again, this is supposed to be a what to do. Again, like a mountain bike, you don't get, any, you don't get fitter looking at a mountain bike. This won't help you manage anxiety unless you actually write the list, draw the circles, get the highlighter pens, right? And uh, there's a, I've got a discount code for you. Get 20% off at the warehouse. <laughs> just, just bought it online and put Jordan in the coupon code. There. Okay, moving on to the next one. Move on to the next one. Uh, one of the things that um, I find hard about prayer is that it's really boring. Anybody else? Right? I find prayer meetings even more boring. <laughs> right? It don't laugh because everyone knows that you're not a proper Christian either, right? Like, one of the challenges with praying is that sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we're praying non-biblically. I think non-biblical prayer is really boring. Jesus said, hey, when you pray, don't go on and on. I feel like quoting this at a prayer meeting. Jesus actually told you, hey, let's not go on and on. Right? How should we pray? Jesus said, do, do it like this, right? Flicking on, let's do it. Should we pray? Our Father. It's awesome, isn't it? It's sometimes sometimes well, when I'm driving my car, when I'm going for a walk, prayer just wells up within me and it's just and I just pray. And sometimes I just pray through the Lord's prayer. Right? But either way I pray. And the Lord's prayer um, it, the disciples said Jesus teach us how to pray and he said do this. Right? Our modern mind is like, yeah, but why? Tell me. Tell, you know, so there's all these books written about the depths of prayer and the ins and outs of prayer. But Jesus said, do this. When you pray, pray it like this. Right? And I, I think there's something to get back to that just says, hey, well, I'm going to do prayer. It's on my list of things I do. And sometimes it wells up from within me. And sometimes it's okay because I've memorized this. Right? And like we found today, the only hard part about it is that word trespasses, right? <laughs> Every time we get to trespasses, you know, it's a, it's a challenging word, right? But give it a few goes, you'll figure it out, right? You could just switch it to sins, but that's a little, it's a little bit more jarring, but that's what he's meaning, right? Uh, another way of praying is the, is the ancient prayer called the Jesus prayer, which just looks like this. Uh, and sometimes this is, this is uh, all you can manage. Sometimes this is where you need to be at. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you can pray that in your head. And the ancient practice would be to sit still somewhere and to pray, Lord Jesus Christ, on your in-breath 
and then have mercy on me, a sinner, on your out-breath. The beauty of doing it like that is you're doing a breathing exercise at the same time, right? And this has been considered by some people as, as the shortest complete prayer that accurately positions Christ and accurately positions us. Again, what do we do when things are going wrong, when, uh, when effluent occurs? Right, number one, we need to ask helpful questions. Number two, we need to pray. Um, I probably throughout my Christian life, I've spent more time thinking about and talking about praying than praying. And my goal is for the rest of my Christian life is to spend more time praying than thinking about praying or talking about praying or thinking about what's the best way to pray. Actually, what's the best way to pray? Do this is one of the key things to do is to actually do some praying, right? Sometimes it wells up and you just pray. Well, that's easy, eh? Those are good days, right? But it's still a good day when you just decide, I'm going to pray. It's my time to pray. My watch has gone beep, right? I'm going to pray. Um, moving on. The last thing we could do is, uh, or my last idea is that when effluent occurs, we need to practice gratitude. Um, there's some complex things going on in your brain that make it really easy to remember and focus on painful, difficult, bad things, right? Um, which is good because how your brain works is that you, you, there's memory is associated with emotional intensity in an interesting sort of way. And the more emotional intensity around an event or an experience, the more it becomes burned into your long-term memory. This is one of the theories around baptism, right? It's like a pretty triggering event, baptism, especially if you haven't heated up the pool, right? Which is how most baptisms have happened, right? Right? Rush, think about a Russian Orthodox baptism where the, the, the elders, first thing the elders have to do is get there early to cut a hole in the ice, right? This is a particular type of traumatic event, right? If you've got to repent and be baptized, you're gonna, this is something you're going to remember, right? So that's how memory sort of works. But what, happened, what can happen is throughout our life, we can remember in exquisite detail a bad thing that happened in Form 2, and you've already forgotten a great thing that happened yesterday. Because we experience negative emotion at three times the intensity of positive emotion, roughly, right? So losing $100 is as painful as winning $300 is as happy. Does that make sense? Yeah? Cool, cool. Okay, so we should practice gratitude because that allows us to focus our mind on the good things God's doing. So um, this guy, Horatio Spafford, not only has he got just an unbelievable first and surname combination, he's also got an uh, epic face. Hey, look at that. Hard to, hard to achieve a, a face quite so serious. But Horatio Spafford, interesting, really interesting character. He was a friend of D.L. Moody um, and uh, Whitfield, and I think Whitfield. But anyway, D.L. Moody for sure, and... Um, actually sponsored lots of the evangelistic crusades in that period of history in America, the Second Great Awakening. Uh, he was a wealthy lawyer from Chicago. Um, he was a preacher in his own right as well, but spent a lot, uh, spent a lot of money supporting uh, mission work, Sunday schools, Bible training stuff, a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, he and his wife had four daughters, 
and um, they were going to be going on holiday to the UK and on the ship going on holiday to the UK and part of what they were doing was meeting with, with D.L. Moody and others to plan the next crusades. Um, just before their trip, there was the great fire, the massive fire in Chicago. Um, lots of people lost their lives, um, which is super tragic and Horatio Spafford lost, lost a whole bunch of buildings. He was a, obviously a property owner, lost a whole bunch of buildings and so he had to stay behind at work to go through all the insurance details and the business stuff. So he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him um, to go on the boat. He would come a week later on, a, on the boat to um, Southampton, I believe. And um, on the ship, his, on that journey, um, partway across the Atlantic, I, I'm not sure, I think two days into the journey, um, the ship that his wife and daughters were on, there was like an accident, some sort of navigation problem. I believe they actually collided with another ship, like a, like a genuine stupid, like not an iceberg, not a storm, bad navigation, and they crashed. And, you know, classic story of boats at that time. They had a certain number of lifeboats that didn't correlate with the number of people on board that, you know, some maths didn't really work and then they'd done a lot of really good work painting and painting the lifeboats they're regularly painting the lifeboats so now the lifeboats were painted into their cradles so they couldn't break them out so there was there was it was obviously massive chaos and significant loss of life and his 11 year old daughter was standing at one point in the middle of all the chaos shouting out to everyone peace be still even he even owns the seas um anyway Horatio's wife held her four daughters with her and they went into the water um, and in the melee of arms and legs they were knocked all were knocked away from her and all four of the girls drowned she sent back from the UK the internet's most tragic um, telegram just said saved alone what will I what do I do now and so a week later, Horatio's on the boat as well, traveling to meet his wife in the middle of, for them, their biggest grief. And he said to the captain of the ship that he was on is, is, is can you tell me, tell me when we're crossing over the site or the, the area where the accident happened a week ago when my daughters were lost? Because I want to be on deck at that point. And in that moment of extreme tragedy, uh, he wrote the words to the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And so I thought, I'm going to finish talking now, and there's a, a video, we're going to play a video, and uh, after that, John, I will get up. But maybe just put your notebook or your phone away. You can, you can stand if you want to, or you can sit. But just sit and listen to the words of the song, listen as it's sung. And maybe just have a think about in the middle of wherever you're at. Just what what are you what can you be grateful for? What are you thanking God for this morning in the middle of the effluent that's occurring all around you? Uh, is that right? So let's play that video and then John will when pick it up. So 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.